and this is the Everyday Faith Podcast, where we talk about how you can connect your faith to your everyday life. Welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about the state of worship. Usually, this is the part of the podcast where I give you a definition, yet today we're going to start off a bit differently and talk about what worship appears to be. When we talk about the state of worship in the church today, there is oftentimes a misconception. A lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people think that worship is the same thing as musical worship. And in reality, musical worship is a big part of worship, but it's not all there is to it. The problem we run into is with such a shallow definition of worship as a whole, it leads to also shallow Christian music. So even our musical worship becomes shallow because we don't even fully understand what worship is all the time. As we look at Christian music and Christian worship music, it does seem to be some overlap of, you know, we were looking at the CCLI Top 100 and looking through some radio stations, most playlists, and there is a difference between just regular Christian music and worship music. Sometimes there is an overlap. I've been in churches where a lot of just Christian music is played as worship music, and it tends to fall a little short of what we're looking for in worship music. Now, that's not to say that regular Christian music does not have an aspect of worship. I think it's very worshipful for those recording artists to make and produce and to tell their story that they have had with God and how God has impacted their life and how that relationship has grown. Like that is great and fantastic. We love to hear it, but is that always necessarily worship music for the listener or the participant in worship? I want to make sure that's very clear, the participant, because it's not always just about listening. And the other thing is with actual worship music, music that is intended to be participated with, that we are meant to come together and sing out the praises of God. We mentioned a few episodes ago that there's this tendency of songs to be 7-Eleven songs, good old 7-Eleven songs, seven words, 11 times, or 11 words, seven times, depending on how long you need to get your main point out. And there's been a shift in the last few years as we were looking at this earlier, it was actually really fascinating to see that there has been a shift from not the 7-Eleven, but the theological depth that a lot of these songs have. There is some kind of transition from shallower music. And just in the songs that have come out in the last three years, as far as worship music goes, there does seem to be this yearning for deeper, more impactful, more connecting songs. And the theology is slowly starting to get better as we look at how we're actually supposed to engage with God. Still kind of leaves the question where the 7-Eleven phenomenon came from, what sparked it, and how do we move away from it? I think it was a conspiracy by 7-Eleven, the gas station. They just wanted to get name recognition in the church. I wonder if they're secretly going to try to collect a quarter for every time I say 7-Eleven. Royalties! for real though but there is this whole whole idea but even with the shift as we're moving from a a weaker theological understanding of music and we're going to talk about that 
a little bit more. Even with that shift, we're still staying somewhat surface level. We're still staying in a comfort zone of worship. What are some of the other issues that you think, Ben, have impacted worship? When I think about problems in worship in the church, one of the first things that comes to mind is the object of worship. Now, we'll probably remember in our worship classes that we took, that was a big topic is who are we worshiping? And in Christianity, the answer is pretty straightforward. It's God. It's only God. And that could be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but it's only God. It's only supposed to be God. Yes, uh, that's the idea, is that it's supposed to be only God. But like I said, when we talk about the way that things actually are right now, that's not always the case. Or maybe it appears to be the case, but it's not clear. You know, when we think about musical worship, one of the big things that we see is muddy music lyrics. Is it about God or is it about what he does for us? Or is it about just us? And that's where that Christian music versus worship music line kind of gets a little hard to distinguish. Um, other areas in the church that we see it, though, because like we said, worship is not just musical worship. We also worship God in the way that we give. I think a lot about tithing campaigns and things like that. You know, Do we tithe out of devotion to God or is it devotion to our church? Or even if you don't tithe, even if you give to any kind of charity, do you give to charity out of devotion to God and a desire to show others love? Or are we giving because it helps our community? You know, when we pray, that's an act of worship. We pray to God. Worship praying is asking for God's will to be done. We can express our desire, but when we only pray for our will, it's really not worship anymore because God's no longer the focus. Uh, praise is another big area or thanksgiving is a big popular thing. Uh, people keep like thanksgiving journals and they'll talk about, oh, keep track of all the blessings in your life. And that's great. But do we only praise God when things are going well or do we praise him when we're still in the midst of our storms as well? Thanksgiving is not just about the food. Thanksgiving is how we give thanks to God every day. When Ben mentioned that, I immediately thought of Thanksgiving dinner. Will, you're always thinking about dinner. This is a true statement. No, but Will is right. He's calling me out on our Christianese. Sometimes even the best We're of us. We're trying to get better. Yeah, sometimes even the best of us slip back up and we'll use words like Thanksgiving, not remembering mm -hmm. that that generally refers to turkey. But no, when we talk about Thanksgiving here, we're talking about praising God for things in our life, whether it's our family, our friends, our job, even just our health. Those are acts of worship because the outward praising of God is a way of glorifying him to everyone else, a way of showing other people just how much he means to us and how much he's done. But again, the problem is a lot of us tend to praise God when things go really well. And we love to tell everyone about all the blessings in our life when things are going smoothly. But when things stop going so well, when we get into those storms in life, all of a sudden 
we don't really want to thank God for much anymore. And so that's another big problem of worship, because if we're only praising him when things go well, we have to ask, is it God we're worshiping or is it the things he does for us that we worship? And then lastly, the greatest act of worship that we do, or the most common act of worship, hopefully, is to love other people. You know, as Christians, we are called to love everybody, but it's really easy to slip into that realm where we're not loving other people as a means of worshiping God or because God first loved us, but we do it because it makes us look good. Because when we love other people, it strengthens our relationships with them and it strengthens our life. But loving people as an act of worship needs to be done for the sake of God first loved us. Yeah, a lot of that is that mindset and that attitude of how we approach things. We talked a little bit the other day on, you know, a checkbox mentality. Do we do those things because we're supposed to, or do we do them because they are good and right and and helpful to our souls? Do we do them because we want to? As we look at like an attitude during what we consider worship that Sunday morning hour, or at the very least, like the music, are we sitting there forced obligated to suffer through our couple of songs. If it's at my church, they're definitely suffering through my sermons. Ooh, self burns. Those are rare. I, I imagine when you talk about that, cause I've seen it so many times. And I know a lot of people have, you get the church audience filled with people just, staring at this worship leader he's got the worship leader cut he's got his ripped jeans on he is wailing on his electric guitar and singing and he's on fire for god and people are just staring just deadpan <laughs> and it just oh, kind of i i had an experience one time where there was this very older family very i i guess they were very traditional in this idea of we have to come come into worship sit down you know very strict posture everything is is intentional very intense and i was preaching that morning and they were in like the second or third row so basically the first row and they had that like obligation of being there and i looked out and i almost stopped preaching because i was like are y'all okay? <laughs> like, I, I am seriously looking at people that their eyes are just glazed over. They are in autopilot. I am here staring motionlessly at you through the music. I I was there. I participated. And I was sitting there like, do we need to, like, is, is, do we need to have somebody come in and help you guys? Like, this is kind of terrifying. But that's kind of what some people think about worship. They think it's something you have to come and sit through, to suffer through, not something that you get to participate in and be an active part of that Sunday morning worship. And that attitude that's really dangerous, and not just in our musical worship, but it does start to spill over into worship that happens outside of the Sunday morning hour. You know, I always ask the question of, if the church didn't have a serve day, would you still go out and serve? 
if the church wasn't doing a giving campaign or passing a tithing plate, are you still going to give? And when you do give, are you going to give cheerfully? I know we've all heard that verse at some point in our life that God loves a cheerful giver, but it's true. That really should be our attitude during worship and during giving specifically. We should want to do it. It shouldn't be an act of compulsion. And then lastly, when we think about loving as an act of worship, do we love when it hurts us or do we just love when it helps us out? Do we love because we have to or because we want to? I I wrote down a verse here from Luke chapter six, where Jesus talks about if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Because even the tax collectors do that. And for those who may not be familiar with the reference, tax collectors were the worst people ever back then. Maybe not so much your local tax collector now, but in that time, that was a big deal to say even tax collectors love those people who love them. But as Christians, we're called to love even when it hurts. And so that leads me into the question of what is the attitude of worship in Scripture? You know, we're talking about what it is right now, what it typically looks like, or maybe not typically, but frequently looks like. And in Scripture, what we see is the attitude around worship is overwhelmingly joy. It is, worship is supposed to be something that fills us with a sense of joy. It's supposed to be done in a spirit of joy. It's done for the good of others, for the good of God, and not for ourselves. It's not done out of compulsion, but out of desire. And so, again, when I see this disconnect between the way that Scripture points, when I see this disconnect between the way Scripture paints worship and what it looks like sometimes in real life, I come back to then, what is worship supposed to be? This is now the part where I will give you the definition. And this is just the simplest way that we could break down what is worship supposed to be. And this is, again, a very basic definition, but it's the act of taking something and raising it above all else, putting it at the the height of your existence. Like, this is it. And in Christian worship, it's only supposed to be directed at God. Yet so often we take other things and put it above everything else in our life. And I think we worship many things in our life without even realizing it. Sometimes it's sports, relationships. It could be your political party. I don't know. There's so many things you could worship in place above God. And once God is not that top thing, you have slipped out of worshiping God and you have started to worship something else because the reality is we all worship something. And so what is our worship supposed to look like? Before I jump into that, for our listening audience, I want you to know that Will looked as excited as he sounded when he said, now I get to give you a definition. Like that's Will's version of me giving history facts. So just know he was very excited to do that part. For Ooh, you. Definitions. <laughs> they help us understand things. 
what Will was saying about everybody worship something, it, it really is true. The reality is that we all have a list of priorities and lists have to have something first. Worship is whatever's first. And as Christians, again, like he said, it should be God first all the time. But with such a shallow definition of worship as just this one hour on Sunday, before we can make God the proper object of worship, we have to fully understand what worship really is. And I want to start off by saying it is more than just music. Please understand that if you get nothing else from this podcast, worship is more than just musical worship. Now, I love the music part of worship. I think the music part of worship should be just like Psalm 150. That's one of the few Psalms that I know very well. And it talks about praise him with loud clashing cymbals and with the trumpets and the harps and the lyres. It's filled with loud and noisy instruments. It's like, just praise God with anything you can find that will make noise. Praise God. That's awesome. And that's really, that's what the musical worship is supposed to be like. It doesn't always have to be happy and upbeat and noisy, but man, that's the picture that's painted for us in scripture. I usually tell people, man, it's all about making that cheerful noise unto the Lord. And God will find it cheerful, but please mute me because you will not find it cheerful when I start singing. <laughs> Can verify. My church recognized that issue one week when I was not muted during the final hymn and somebody oh, comes no. running out uh, from a side room because they were listening in and I just got done preaching. They, they're starting to sing the hymn and cool. It was not cheerful for anybody else, but for God. He hears that voice, and he knows you are trying your absolute best, and he loves it. Well, Maybe not the people around you, though. <laughs> Thank God for Will, that worship is not just music. Um, Amen. And, and honestly, I would say there's even a, a practical necessity that we have to understand that is more than that, because what about the people who honestly can't sing? Not just that they can't hold a tone, but what about people who are mute? How would they praise God if the only way to do that is to sing? And so in scripture, we see lots of other ways that we can worship God. Uh, still on a musical note, there's even dance. I think of David just taking off his clothes and dancing with reckless abandon in the street after a victory. That was an act of worship. His wife may have come out and called him undignified, but whose wife hasn't done that at some point or another? And David, David worshipped God with that dance. I was not ready for that. I'm trying to be real here. This is everyday faith, Will. <laughs> of course, another way that we can worship God is through our service and our action. Romans 12, 1 puts it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so again, we see it's not just about the things that we sing. It's not just about the instruments that we play, but it's about the things that we do. It's about the things that we say. Our words, even just plainly spoken, can be acts of worship. 
our words in the form of prayer can be acts of worship. And of course, the greatest act of worship, like I said, is our love for others. When we love those people, especially the people who are disadvantaged in this life, the people who are unloved by anyone else, the people who are hard to love, that's worship. And as we continue to look at this, like the love for others plays out in so many ways. And worship really is a lifestyle. We have that aspect of musical worship. And I just want to touch on a couple of things with that before we really break into this lifestyle idea. But musical worship is something that we can participate at any time. Like, one of the really cool things is we don't need to have all the instruments or the ability to play an instrument to enter into a time of participating into that because we have this wonderful thing of the internet where we can pull up a song on Spotify or YouTube. Are you telling me that we don't need $10,000 worth of lasers and flashing lights to worship, Will? The spirit only moves with $12,000 worth of lights, so... I see. You need to step up from your $10,000 setup. No, uh, we really don't need those things. Some of the most powerful worship setups I have ever seen. Actually, the, the first one that comes to mind was when I was at my undergrad at Southeastern University, and it was like welcome week or whatever. And it was a couple of dudes with guitars that set up on like the main street of the campus. And we're just like, hey, we're going to worship. And I know that's like super cliche Christian college thing. But it was like really powerful worship. And we just sang songs that everybody knew. And just being able to participate in that was cool. But it doesn't even need a live worship leader to do that. You can pull up the music. You can listen to it, participate in it, sing it along. Echo it in your heart. And the theological bar that I would challenge you to look at through your song selection for worship music is what does that song tell us about God's character? Does that song remind us of the promises of God? And are we the focus as like a human being? Is, is the song more about me? Or is the song more about God? And I think if we run most songs through those three things, we're going to start to realize that, hey, there's a lot of music that is more about us that doesn't talk all that much about God's character. That's the stuff that I would encourage us to step away from. And to make a tie back into one of our previous episodes, when we talked about biblical literacy, this is a big area where that's important because there's a lot of songs out there that talk about God's character, but not necessarily accurately. Mm-hmm. I think the question is not just whether it talks about God's character, but what is it actually saying about God's character? For sure. And that actually leads me into another point that I had with this was as we look at worship and music and as a lifestyle, being engaged in scripture is a major part of worship and understanding the promises of God, understanding the character of God, knowing who God is in all of his majesty and glory. And I love the book of James because it drops the the gem in James 
122, you can't just be a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer of the word. That's in my sermon this week. Mm, Good sermon. Good sermon. Like it already. But it's not enough to just recognize what it is. And that's that's a good, good start. I don't want to discourage that. But if we don't let scripture transform us to form us in who we are, like that is a key part of worship. When we take God and we put him at the very top of everything above us and we say, man, God, this is it. You're the number one priority. You are above everything else. That will change us. It will bring us into greater love to our neighbor. It will bring us to understand who God is and what his heart is for the people around us. And that, that right there is pulling us deeper into worship. And it doesn't stop because of a circumstance. A circumstance might make it easier or harder. We might feel good and be like, yes, I can, I can participate in this worship all day long. Or something bad might happen and be like, man, I feel a little distant from God today and I don't want to worship anymore. I want to just stop. It's too much work to worship right now. No, worship happens in the good and the bad. I think one of my favorite stories about this in scripture is when Paul is literally in prison. He's in chains. And forgive me for not remembering who he was in prison with, but he was with one of his friends and they didn't just cry. They didn't give up. They didn't curse God, but they praised him. They were worshiping as they were being imprisoned for being Christians and spreading the gospel. That's what it looks like in everyday life is when worship is a lifestyle, it does not stop. So if we can give you this change of mind, it would be perhaps that the problem is we confuse worship with a single hour on Sunday morning. And that's not right. It's more than a single hour. Worship is a lifestyle. It works itself out in everything we do. Our worship changes us. And through that, it changes the world around us. As we share the love of God through our everyday worship. As we bring this episode to a close, I felt it was necessary that we don't just leave you with this theoretical idea of worship is a lifestyle, but that we talk specifically about what that actually looks like. And going back to that example of praising God when times are hard, I think of a friend of mine I know who was diagnosed with cancer. And after a brief moment of crying, her response was, I'm going to use this to glorify God. In the midst of finding out they had cancer, their response was, I'm going to praise God anyway, because even though this circumstance is not good, God is still good. When worship becomes a lifestyle, it permeates everything we do. That's praising God in the midst of a storm. I tend to think of a pastor I used to work for. His name was Tim. Goofy dude. Loved Jesus fantastic person to have had the pleasure to work for and learn under. But one of the things that he always 
like just was in a state of worship. He would be the guy that was like, hey, something's wrong. Praise God. Something's going good. Praise God. Because he knew God was always doing something. And I remember so like pointedly, there was a time that somebody had come up to the church and I mean, was obviously lost and kind of needed some help. It wasn't a, a second thought for Tim to say, what can I do to help this person? How can I show this person the love of Christ? Is it, do I need to go down, got, buy this dude a bus pass? I, Dude's like, I probably couldn't even afford the bus pass, but we'll figure it out for him because he was trusting God to take care of that aspect. And he was just so into the way that he lived his life as a expression of worship. His life was just a reflection of the love that God gave him. That was his goal in life. That's what worship is. And worship as love, as a lifestyle, and that first of all, that's a great example. I, I do like that a lot. Um, love to. I, <laughs> hopefully everybody has someone like at least one person in their life like that. But when we think of love as being an act of worship, I mean, that's probably one of the easiest ones to act upon. Sure, you can sing in the shower, sing in the car, you can do musical worship anywhere and everywhere, just like Will said, if you can only make a joyful noise and not a skillful one, maybe do it privately. But um, the the loved ones, it doesn't always have to be something big. I think we think sometimes that it has to be these big, powerful stories, but honestly, this is everyday faith. We talk about stuff that you can do every day. So even something as small as sitting down and having a conversation with that awkward guy at work or at school that nobody talks to, just to say, hey, you know what? I'll listen. It's taking the time to stop when you see that car broken down on the side of the highway and, and help them push. At least get their car out of the road. You don't have to be a mechanic, but help them get to safety. Obviously, we're going to encourage you guys, please be safe if you do this. But it's those little acts of love. Those are the everyday lifestyle worship things that we can do. And even something so simple as a smile. Living out like a little bit of joy in your life. I remember reading an article a while ago, and I, I've seen many articles like this of people that were already contemplating suicide. And they would go and stand on the side of a bridge or something like that. And there was one that just hit me really hard. And it was this guy that he, he ended up surviving the fall off the bridge. But he had said, look, if a single person smiles, I won't jump. I'm like, for an hour, he stands there, a high traffic bridge, so many people. Y'all, a smile. That is the smallest possible thing we can share to just share a little bit of joy in life. That there are good things going on. That God is still good. God's still in charge. And we can take comfort and joy in that. So as we go, I want to leave you with this final thought. Remember that worship is supposed to be done out of love for God, out of love for other people, not out of compulsion, not because Pastor Ben or Pastor Will is telling you to, or whatever your pastor's name is, but because you get to. And I want to leave you with this thought, this saying that we used to have. We're not sure the origin of this quote, if it was anywhere beyond our school, but they used to say this at school all the time, and it's 
the chief purpose of man, of humanity, is to worship. This is what we were made to do. And that's why it has to go beyond just our music and into every area of our life. Amen. Thanks again for listening this week. We'd like to give a special thank you to Travis D'Amato for both our theme music and sound editing. If you like either, you can find and contact him at Music 93 on Instagram. That's D-A-M-A-T-O, music 93. Remember to follow us on social media at Everyday Faith Podcast. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to share it. We're always looking for feedback to help us grow, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Everyday Faith Podcast. Thank you.